The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastabl.org. Thank you, Larry. Morning, church. You guys doing good? Ready to study the word? Awesome. 1 Samuel 18, go ahead and open up to or turn on to 1 Samuel 18. Uh, If you're new around here, my name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor. Really thankful that you would uh, choose to be with us this morning. Um, We've got a couple things going on that I want to make you aware of. Uh, First one is this. If you are new around here in the last few months uh, and you haven't really gotten plugged into the life of our community yet, um, I want to invite you to a little meet and greet thing. Uh, newcomer hangout that we're going to have after immediately after this gathering. So uh, right out these doors in, uh, in this classroom to the far right on this side. So when you come out to go to the right, we'll have some donuts, um, fruit, water. We don't have coffee yet, but we're working on it. Uh, and so we'd love to have you. It'll be brief, kind of drop in. Just want to meet you, say hello. Um, I'll, I'll give a little bit of our story, how we kind of got to here and uh, give you some next steps on ways that you can plug in. So if you're interested in doing that, it's today right after the gathering. You can go through these uh, doors, and um, I hope that you will join us. Second thing I want to make you aware of, uh, we did close our fundraising campaign for phase two of our build-out, but we had uh, a late gift that came in, so that brings our total now to, I believe, $175,000 that was uh, raised. Yeah, praise God for that. So we are about to get cranking on uh, some extra series of renovations here shortly, and uh, hopefully it'll be a little dusty in the summer, uh, but hopefully uh, by the end of the summer we'll have all that stuff kind of wrapped up. Um, I think that's it for now, so let's go ahead and dive into the Word. So you know we've been um, in this series, we just started um, looking at the life of King David and, and seeing kind of uh, what we can learn from this story of David. It's going to take us through First and Second Samuel. Today, I want to look at one of the most significant relationships that uh, we see in David's life, and that is his friendship with Jonathan. Jonathan, who's the son of King Saul. Now, you know, when I talk about friendship, some of you might be like, okay, big deal, right? But it is a big deal. Uh, we need friends. All of us need friends. Even you introverts need friends. Friends, good friends, true friends. In fact, just this week, uh, I didn't plan it this way, but this is just how it works. Um, I was looking, I was reading a, the news um, website, a couple of them that I go to, and I saw an article um, that just this week, uh, the Surgeon General, his name is Dr. Vivek Murthy, he, uh, he wrote an op-ed in the New York Times describing an epidemic that is sweeping this country, that is more dangerous to our bodies or as dangerous to our bodies as smoking. Some of you are like, where's my mask? I knew it. There's another epidemic coming. It's not that. It's not another virus. It's not the flu. It's not COVID. It's not that kind of thing. You know what it is? Loneliness. Loneliness. In fact, he said that uh, half of the adults that they polled in, the, in their studies, half had measurable, like that, that means statistically significant, measurable levels of loneliness. And it has effects on every part of us, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Um, they, they determined that in older adults in particular, loneliness uh, contributes significantly. I think it was a 30% increase in things like dementia and heart disease and stroke. Um, for all adults, increases in things like depression and anxiety and uh, the rate of suicide because of loneliness. So this affects all of us. And, you know, I I would like to think that that as Christians and within the church that uh, we wouldn't test that high, but if those statistics are true, that means half of the people in this room are experiencing measurable levels of loneliness. Now, If there's ever a time for the Christian church to be counter the culture, it is now. It's right now. Because we know it's obvious to us that God created us 
to need other human beings in our lives, to need friends, right? We can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 and what one theologian calls one of the great theological weirdnesses, and that is that when God creates man and places him in the garden, everything that he's created, he's called good, but when he sees that man is alone, what does he say? It is not good, but it's before the fall. It's before sin enters the world. How can there be something not good before sin entered the world? This theologian says it's one of those theological weirdnesses, that God has designed human beings such that even in the presence of God in the garden, we're still missing something. We need other humans. We need friends. We need relationship. Okay? Because as image bearers of God, we reflect our God who is community unto himself. He is eternal friendship, three in one. And so we reflect the nature of who God is. And so we need friends. We are created to have friends, to be friends, and to need friends. And so um, what I want to do this morning, and we're going to do this kind of Bible study style. So I, we'll, we'll read a passage and, and, and I'll, I'll pray and then we'll dive into it. But I'm going to take you over the course of about three or four chapters of 1 Samuel this morning. And we're going to just look at a few chunks okay, that describe the relationship between David and Jonathan. We're going to do it sort of Bible study style. Um, I'm not going to explain every single detail of every single verse, but it's going to give us a bigger picture. What I want us to see is what a true friend, a true friend, is supposed to do and to be. What is a true friend? How do we know if we are a true friend or if we have true friends? That's what I want us to look at this morning. So, you good? Ready? All right, so 1 Samuel 18, let's look at the first nine verses and then I'll pray for us, and then uh, we're going to be across chapters 18, 19, 20, and a bit of 23 this morning. So I uh, hope you packed a lunch. Here we go. First Samuel, you think I'm kidding. Um, First Samuel 18, starting in verse 1. As soon as he, that's David, uh, finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even the sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry at this say, in this um, was very angry, and this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've only ascribed thousands. That's what I imagine he sounds like. <laughs> and what more, and what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, what a gift and a joy it is to be gathered together with brothers and sisters this morning um, in the presence of your spirit and under the authority of your word. Father, I, I have no idea what all of these men and women are carrying in here this morning. But you do. And so, Holy Spirit, I, I just pray that you would meet us here, that as we... Um, sit under this um, preaching of the Word of God, that it would not just be a passive exercise, but that you would empower us to actively listen, that you would do the work that only you can do by your Spirit and through your Word to impact us at a soul level. We did not drive all the way down here this morning to sing a couple songs and sit through a lecture and go home. We came here to meet with God. We need God. And so would you meet us here? Would you do the work that only you can do, great physician, in our souls and help us to not only embrace 
um, the call to be the kinds of friends that the scripture describes, but to receive the friendship that you offer. Help me, Lord, as I preach to be clear, concise, humble, courageous. And would you transform us on the spot as we hear your words. And so, Lord, um, we love you. We thank you for this time of study, and we pray that you would be honored and glorified in it. We pray this all in the beautiful name of Jesus. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. So, uh, just to catch you up, last week, uh, thank you, Mark, for uh, uh, delivering the message. We, if you weren't here, we had all the kids down front. We played a little David and Goliath. It was a lot of fun. Um, Mark uh, missed Goliath multiple times. Uh, but his sermon was on target. And so, uh, thank you for that. But what we saw last week in the story of, of David and Goliath was this uh, scrawny shepherd boy. Um, on his way to the battlefield to door dash some provisions to his brothers, um, cheese and such. And uh, the entire Israelite army is paralyzed uh, by the threat of this great Philistine giant. And, and, and David, he knew, he was confident that the Lord would deliver his people. And so he says, hey, I'll go. And he goes to the battlefield with just a sling. He, they, you know, Saul tried putting his armor on him, it didn't fit. He goes and, and he uh, with a sling, with a single sling and a single stone, he ends up um, coming back with Goliath, this Philistine giant. He comes back with his sword and his head. And the Israelites are victorious. Now, King Saul, um, who's a, kind of a lame duck king, right? He's already been um, informed by this, the prophet Samuel that he's no longer going to be king, but he's still in power at this time. He sees uh, David, he's impressed with David, and so the text that we just read here tells us he, he's going to bring him to his royal court, okay? He's going to live with Saul from this point forward, and, uh, and, and he's going to put him into work as a, a soldier for him. But quickly, his impression of David turns to threats. He feels threatened by David's successes, by the fact that, that David um, has victory wherever he goes. And, and he's more threatened by what these women are singing about. As we saw in the text, these women are singing and, and what you have to know about Hebrew literature and poetry is oftentimes there's a reiteration of the first point with something a little bit greater, and it doesn't, it's, it's both conveying the same thing. So essentially what they're saying is, hey, uh, we cheer Saul and David. He, they've killed, they, they have killed thousands and ten thousands, right? But, but the way that Saul hears it because of his insecurity is that they're ascribing to Saul only thousands, but to David they're ascribing tens of thousands, so they must, they must love him more. And that begins to unravel and implode Saul's life. He can't stand it. And, and in places we won't read today, you, I encourage you to read this story. Um, David is, is in playing his harp for, uh, or his little guitar kind of thing for, uh, for Saul. And Saul's you know, pleased by it. And then all of a sudden he just takes a spear and he throws it at David to try to pin him to the wall, to strike him through, to pin him to the wall. He does that two different times. Like he's coming unglued, okay? In, in, in chapters 18 through 20, Saul is going to attempt to kill David at least six different times. This dude is a lunatic, okay? This is the most dangerous time of, of David's life. Now, there are other times where he'd be on the run from other enemies, but, but in this sort of series of chapters, it's the most sort of tenuous, the most fragile, the most dangerous time of David's life. And the bookends that we see on these chapters, the bookends of this most dangerous and, and um, terrible season of David's life are his friendship, descriptions of his friendship with Jonathan. Um, Eugene Peterson uh, some of you might know the, the name Eugene Peterson. He wrote The Message, the paraphrase of the Bible. He's also written other books and commentaries. And he wrote a book on the life of David. And he made this really keen observation in the book. He said that it's the friendship that David had with Jonathan that bracketed and contained the evil that he experienced from Saul. In other words, um, his friendship with David is what sustained him, what made him able to endure all the pain and the hardship and the suffering that he endured. I think it's a very keen observation that that friendship bracketed and contained 
the evil. And so we see here the friendship beginning in verse 1. Look at it again with me. He says, as soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And that makes some of us very uncomfortable, (laughs) especially the dudes in the room, right? Where are my dudes at? Uh, Because most of us do not have a category for friendship that uses such intimate language. That their souls were knit together. And we're not told why David and Jonathan became such friends. If, if, you know, in just a cursory reading of the text, it seems pretty abrupt. You know, David kills Goliath, he's holding his head, and then Jonathan's like, I want to be your friend. And it's kind of strange. So there had to be more to it than that, okay? But the reality is, um, these guys don't have a lot in common. I think a lot of us think that friendship has to start with having stuff in common, and oftentimes it does, but it doesn't have to. Um, Jonathan is royalty. He's the prince, right? He's next in line for the throne. Um, David is poor. Jonathan is a soldier. In fact, in chapter 14, you'll see that he's, he's a pretty, pretty good soldier. Like, he kills a lot of people. Um, and, and David's a shepherd boy. Now, there may be some, some bonding that they experience when he sees uh, the work of David with Goliath, he goes, oh, he, he's, one, he's like me, right? There's a kindred spirit that they find between the two of them, but we don't know. They're not even close in age. I don't know how many know this. Some of us think, I think that David and Jonathan were like in the same grade, you know, and they just became bosom buddies and lived the rest of their lives, but it, it is clear historically that Jonathan was at least 25 years older than David. Yeah, wow, okay? So for those of you who think, well, I have to make friends with people who are my age, baloney. And listen, we have this beautiful opportunity, just a little side note here, at this church, because we have basically every generation represented, we have the makings of some amazing friendships in this place. But it's going to take some of you younger and some of you older to look for people who aren't just like you and to reach across the aisle, literally, right? And to say, hey, let's go to lunch after church. I'd love to get to know you. 25 years older. And yet, they became inseparable, right? They were super tight friends. On top of that, the moment that Jonathan befriends David, his life starts to get really difficult, okay? Um, As I said, he was next in line for the throne, which means that when, when the text tells us here that he takes off his robe, that's his royal robe. And he gives it to David, signaling, I'm forfeiting the kingdom. I know you're the real king, so I'm going to give my robe to you and my sword, right? Which means, uh, essentially it means, I am willing to serve you unto death. My life is in your hands. He even loses the trust of his father. Skip ahead with me. This is what I'm talking about when I say Bible study style. Skip ahead to chapter 20. So um, there's multiple attempts, David trying to uh, evade uh, Saul, Saul trying to kill him. And in chapter 20, I want you to see something really interesting here. Verse 30, Saul's anger is now kindled against Jonathan because Jonathan keeps defending David and trying to advocate for him. And look, look at what it says. Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. I imagine his mom was like, hey, how did I get drug into this? Do I not know that you, listen, that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Do you see what you have put up at risk here, Jonathan? Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? And Saul hurled his spear at his own son to strike him. And Jonathan knew that his father was a lunatic. Sorry, that his father was determined to put David to death. Okay, so here's what I want you to see in that. Jonathan knows what's at stake. He knows what he's risking. I, I am not going to become the king. David's going to become the king, but, but I choose him. And this is my first point for you note takers. True friends choose you. A true friend chooses you. 
Here's what I mean by that. Most other relationships in our lives we inherit. You're born into a family. You don't choose your family. You're just born into it. You inherit those relationships, right? Um, For example, Saul is insane, but he's Jonathan's dad, so he's still going to love him. He's still going to be there for him. He's still going to try to take care of him because he has that obligation, but he didn't choose it, okay? You take a job. You inherit your coworkers. Most of us don't get to pick our coworkers. You move into a new home or a new apartment. You don't choose your neighbors. You inherit them, right? So most other relationships are just sort of forced on us, right? We inherit them. But friendship cannot be inherited. Friendship cannot be forced upon us. We have to decide to be there for one another. Which means there has to be a mutual affection. There has to be some sort of bond in which you say to that other person, I choose you as a friend. I want to do life with you. And they reciprocate that feeling. Now listen, as I said earlier, um, this friendship that J- Jonathan and David experienced, uh, it's what brackets or, or contains the pain, the evil that David is going to experience. Um, and it's going to cost Jonathan dearly. You and I are going to face in our lives all kinds of trouble, all kinds of storms, all kinds of tragedies. All kinds of dark seasons are going to come into our lives. And biblically and um, even outside the Bible, I can tell you, you will not make it without true friends. You just won't. We will never make it through all those seasons of our lives without true friends who choose us and help bracket the crazy that we experience in our lives. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. If if we just pass the mic around right now and I said, hey, tell me about a good friend in your life and what they've meant to you, we'd be here all day. But there's others of you I know right now who are like pining for that. You long for that because you're made for it. But you've never experienced a friend like that. Someone who chooses you. Now we're going to go on. Um... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the point now, and then I'll kind of explain it. Um, I think it'll be easier to do it this way. A true friend, second point, commits to you. A true friend commits to you, okay? Um, look back at verse 3 in chapter 18. I know I'm taking you all over the place. Just bear with me. Look at verse 3. What does it say? Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. That's a that's a big deal, right? The word covenant is not used lightly in the Bible. And in fact, in the story of David and Jonathan, we see uh, three covenants, or at least a covenant and then two renewals of that covenant between them. Jonathan is making a commitment here. He's, there's a, a sense of permanency to this idea of covenant. Now, I want you to put yourself in the, in the shoes of Jonathan for just a second here, and then we're going to look at some other passages. On the one hand is his loyalty to his father, the king, who, as we've already talked about, is bananas crazy. On the other hand is his loyalty to his friend David. And that is going to put him in some very complicated positions at times, okay? For example, we're not going to look at this, but I'll just explain it to you. Um, in, so a couple things happen. Uh, after the spear incident, after the, t- the two times of David uh, dodging the spear from Saul, um, Saul decides, I'm going to marry off one of my daughters to you, but it's actually a plot to try to kill him. So he says, hey, look, I'll give you my daughter to marry, but you need to bring me back a dowry. And I'm not going to get into the dowry super much. It's 104 skins, and I'll just leave it there. You can talk to your f- parents about that. But, um, but what he does is he says, okay, the, the odds of him doing this are like, zero out of 100. So he's going to get killed. And um, David brings back 200 foreskins. And so uh, that didn't work. Okay. And so then he, uh, he, he's trying other ways to, to kill him. And he actually, uh, his, David's successes continue to bring threats to, to Saul because he's so insecure. 
And so um, he says, listen, I, bring him to me. I want to kill him myself. And, and Jonathan has to advocate for his friend David before his father. He has to say, Dad, don't do this. This is crazy. He's a good man. He's never done anything wrong, he, right? And so he's, he's having to sort of stand in between. At the same time, he has to go to David, and he has to say, hey, Dave, my dad's nuts, and you need to run for your life because he's going to kill you, okay? That's an awkward position. He's got he's to say hard things to people that he loves, but over and over and over and over again, Jonathan proves that he is committed to David's flourishing because a true friend commits to you. Now, as I read, read through this story, um, I found at least three marks of commitment that I want to share with you. I'm sure there are more, but I, wanted to, I want you to see at least three marks of real commitment, the kind of commitment a true friend makes. And they're scattered throughout the text. So skip ahead to chapter 20 with me. And we'll read a little bit here. The three commitments, the three marks of commitment are first, vulnerability, second, sacrifice, and third, encouragement. Vulnerability, sacrifice, and encouragement. So um, let's look at them together here. Vulnerability, look at chapter 20, uh, starting in verse 1. David fled from Naoth in Ramah came and said before Jonathan, what have I done? Where is, what is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? He's like, what? Tell me what I did so I can apologize. And he said to him, far from it, you shall not die. He doesn't know that his dad has another plot here. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide it from me? It's not so. But David vowed again, saying, your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, listen to this, there is but a step between me and death. Now, skip ahead to verses 41 and 42 in chapter 20. Uh, there's another uh, scheme that David and Jonathan develop. Basically, he says, look, I'm going to go ask my dad if he's trying to kill you or not. If he is, I'm going to come back and I'm going to throw some arrows, okay? They're going to go beyond you. Uh, if, if, if those are the ones telling you you're safe, I'm going to kind of aim them at you uh, uh, if you're in danger. No, I think it's the other way around. If I almost hit you, that means you're safe. If they go beyond you, you're not safe. That's kind of the plot, the crazy plot that they develop. And, and, and so he, he ends up, you know, David's life is in danger. Verse 41, as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap, fell on his face to the ground, bowed three times, and they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most, weird detail. And Jonathan said to David, go in peace, because we have sworn, sworn both of us in the name of our Lord, saying, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And they rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Here's what I want you to see here. David and Jonathan, there's tears, right? They're weeping, they're hugging, kissing. Uh, it's an ancient tradition. They're... Um, David is sharing his deepest fear, right? There's but a step between me and death. There's vulnerability. They are sharing their deepest feelings. They are sharing their truest hearts with one another. In fact, um, the Hebrew word for friendship, another way to translate it is um, secret. Because um, a friend is someone with whom you can have confidential conversation. And if you think about this, <clears throat> this is why you can't have many true friends, okay? Because we don't have the time or the capacity or the trust to have that kind of intimate relationship with that many people. You think about Jesus. Jesus had 12 disciples, but he had three who were his closest confidants, Peter, James, and John. Uh, those were his boys. Those are the ones who went with him everywhere. Those are the ones that he confided in the most deeply. And what makes the gospel so rich and so meaningful is that Jesus is always pulling his closest friends aside and just conveying his deepest emotions to them, his, his truest heart, and inviting them to do the same. So there's vulnerability. That's the mark of a true friend. Secondly, and I got to go fast because I'm running out of time, um, sacrifice. Back at uh, chapter 20, sorry, look at verse 4. Chapter 20, verse 4. After they're confiding in one another, after David is sharing his deepest fear, Jonathan says to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. 
And this is where they hatch this plot to, hey, let me go check with my dad, see what's going on. Uh, if your life's in danger, I will let you know. If it's not, I'll let you know. And, and so he says, whatever you need, I will do it for you. And David needed a lot. He was one of those friends. And if you don't know what I mean, it's because you're one of those friends. <laughs> There's no commitment without sacrifice. There is no commitment without sacrifice. It costs you to be a true friend because you're bearing someone's burdens. Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 6. Now, how do you bear someone's burdens? How do, you, how do you bear the burden of another? You shoulder it with them, right? You get up under it and you shoulder the weight of it. And this, the moment that you start to feel the weight of their burden, they start to feel the weight of their burden lifted because you're dividing the load. Does it make sense? Okay, so there is sacrifice, there's commitment. It takes time, it takes energy, it takes you know, uh, prayers, it takes resources to engage with a friend at this level, but you shoulder the weight of it with them, and that's how you know that you're being a true friend or experiencing a true friend is that they truly bear your burdens. Now, the third mark of a friend that I found in the text here is encouragement. I want to take you to chapter 23 for this, so flip with me to chapter 23. Sorry to make you flip around so much, but it's a good exercise. I love hearing those pages rustle or those screens swipe. <laughs> chapter 23, uh, starting in verse 15. So this is the last time, by the way, that David and Jonathan ever see each other. David saw, uh, David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and, listen to this, strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. The two of them made a covenant or renewed their covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horash, and Jonathan went home. And that's the last time they see each other. Jonathan strengthened the hand of his friend in God. This wasn't just vague, general generic inspiration, right? Not just a pat on the back and a, oh, you're going to be fine, right? Uh, the, the, the idea here is um, David has a grip on the Lord and he's slipping. And so Jonathan comes along and helps him get his grip back on the Lord. He strengthened his hand in God. He encouraged him. He brought courage to him. Um, and, and he strengthened him in God, okay? So he, Jonathan sees the real David, not the persona of the warrior king. He sees his friend who is scared. He sees his friend who is struggling to hold on to faith in Jesus. And he reminds his friend of who God is. He reminds his friend of God's love for him. He reminds his friend of God's promises for him, and he strengthens his friend's hand in God. Is that what your closest friendships look like? Is that what you expect from your friends? That they will strengthen your hand in God? Is that what you provide for your friends? Is that what you give to your friends? a strengthening of their hand in God. Vulnerability, sacrifice, encouragement. Are these the marks of your closest friendships? Because here's the reality, and I think this, is, um, this has happened in many generations, but particularly I see it in younger generations, is that we have commodified friendship. Here's what I mean by that. Um, we, we treat friends like a, like a subscription service streaming service. How many of you, just by show of hands, in the last year have added or dumped at least one streaming TV service? Come on, okay? That's a lot. And here's why, okay? Because we don't need Netflix, Hulu, Disney+, Plus, HBO Max, Amazon Prime, what else is out there, right? We don't, we don't need all of them. And so what we do is we go, okay, I got one or two that are kind of are like my standards, and then I got others that I kind of dip into and dip out of when I want to, right? And, um, as long as they're a benefit to me, 
as long as they're useful to me, as long as they don't cost too much, I'll keep them. And many of us do that with our friends. And particularly in younger generations, we are commitment phobic. And we are, we call it FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. So we don't want to like commit to you because just in case something else better comes along, I want to keep my options open. Partic- and this is, I don't mean to pick on young people. I just want to continue to bring warnings. There is a propensity among younger generations now to, um, to change jobs like other people change their clothes. Uh, the, the average millennial, for instance, will only keep their current job for around three years and then they're on to the next one and then on to the next one. And they will change jobs every three years for the rest of their career. And some will change entire careers a half dozen times, okay? And what comes with the changing of careers often is a change of location. And we have wanderlust and we, we wanna see the world and there's nothing wrong with those things, but there is a cost to those things. And so what happens is, um, we're going to change jobs and change careers a whole bunch of times. We're going to move across the country a whole bunch of times. And we're going to have a thousand contacts in our phone and no one to call. And we wonder why we're lonely. And we wonder why, as friendship has decreased in our society, the need for therapy has increased. Therapy's good. I'm not saying it's bad. I think there's a lot of benefits to it. I think a lot of people are really helped by therapy. But more often than not, I think what many of us need is somebody to talk to. We need a friend. And now we're paying for our friend, who, by the way, isn't really your friend. One of the most popular classes I heard this week, one of the most popular classes um, that college kids are taking at the University of Southern California is a class on how to make friends because we have forgotten how to do it. We are incredibly lonely people. So everyone hear this. I heard this a long time ago. I don't know who I heard it from, but I've held on to it. All of your real wealth is in your relationships. I don't care what you get to see or experience in this world. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care what position you have at your job. None of that matters. All your real wealth is in your relationships, in your friends. So hold on to that. Okay, I got one whole section to go, and my little clock tells me I have three minutes. So we're going we're gonna to keep, we're gonna keep on going. Is that okay with you? I'm going to go as fast as I can. Final point. A, fru, ooh, a, fru, a true friend... A true friend changes you. A true friend changes you. This should go fairly quickly. Um, We'll stay here in chapter 23. I just read it, so we don't have to read it again. Here's what I want you to see. Though the account, like this is the last time that they see each other. Okay, so we've looked at what, four passages? And that's the totality of the information we get about the friendship between David and Jonathan. It's not a lot. It's not a whole book. Not even a whole chapter. There's bits and pieces, okay? We don't know how long this friendship lasted. We don't, we, we don't know much about it, but we do know this. Though the account of the relationship, the friendship between David and Jonathan is relatively short and sparse for details, it left an indelible mark on David's life. David is saved, protected, and freed to step into the kingship largely due to the friendship that he has with Jonathan. And it's going to end up costing Jonathan literally his life, okay? Towards the end of 1 Samuel, uh, Saul and Jonathan both die on the battlefield, okay? Now, Jonathan's friendship was essential to David's life. Without Jonathan, David might have either abandoned the call of God on his life, right? Because Saul's the king and he's not going to you know, multiple times you'll see in the text, he's not going to try to kill the king. He's going to respect that. But now the king's after him. And so he might have just given, you know, thrown his hands up and said, you know, I'm going back to the sheep. The sheep don't try to kill me, you know? Or he might have stooped to Saul's level and tried to retaliate, tried to fight fire with fire, you know? And then been guilty of, um, of killing the Lord's anointed. So the friendship, as we've said multiple times now, has it bracketed and contained the evil, 
But more than that, it formed the heart of David. And, and that's the last point here, that a true friend changes you. And we're going to see the impact of this later uh, in our series here when we look at 2 Samuel. But I, just one example. Um, later in the, in the story of David, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, after David is a truly anointed king and, and um, he takes leadership, um, it was typical at that time during a regime change, if you will, that if the regime change happened outside the family lines, that anyone who was associated by blood to the other family who had been in power would be eliminated. Okay? It was like you know, a new president changing their cabinet, only they murdered them. And so David becomes king, and, and there's a regime change, and, and he asks this question, is there anyone left of Jonathan's family? And they find a son. His name is Mephibosheth, which is a fun name if you're looking for baby names. And, uh, and so Mephibosheth is the son of Jonathan, or a son of Jonathan, and, uh, and he's disabled. He's had an injury or, you know, as a baby, and he's now disabled. And so Jonathan, uh, sorry, David goes and finds Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth thinks his life is over. He's, you know, David's going to kill me. Here we go. And David says to Mephibosheth, hey, for the sake of your father, Jonathan, I want to welcome you into my home. He treats him as his own son for the rest of his life, and he is always welcome to the king's table for the rest of his life. He gets property and wealth back. He gets a seat at the king's table, and he's treated like a son of King David for the rest of his life. That happened because David was so impacted by his friend Jonathan. For the sake of your father, Jonathan, I will do this. In other words, Jonathan's character shaped David's character. And that's why, like in Proverbs, when it says, um, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, that's what it's talking about, that, that we rub off on each other, that our character is formed by the relationships that we have. Someone said a long time ago, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Because we, we become, in some sense, the average of the five people that we're closest friends with, for better or for worse. So you can be mutually sharpened by your friends or you can be mutually dulled by the morons that you hang around. That's what friends do. They shape us. They mold us. They, they change us. And that's what Jonathan did for David. He changed him. He shaped him. He molded him. And, and we see the fruit of that later in David's life. Now, as we think about this, a friend that chooses us, a friend that commits to us, who's vulnerable, who sacrifices for us, a friend uh, who encourages us, a, a friend who changes us. I think most of us in the room would say, I want a friend like that. Like just one, I'm not greedy. Just give me one friend who's like that, right? Who will choose me, who will commit to me, who will change me, who will, who will be vulnerable with me, who, who will encourage me, who will sacrifice for me. We want that, right? All of us want that in a friend. And we, we will never make it in this life without a true friend like that. But I also have to ask us, how many of us are attempting to be that kind of friend for other people? See, a lot of us are just hanging around waiting for someone to choose us, just sort of sitting there with our lunch pail like I'm ready to go. And there's, there's other people out there waiting for you to choose them, right? How many of us are this kind of friend? I think most of us would say, I'm not. I'm selfish, I'm prideful, you know? I don't think about other people the way I ought to. And we'll never be this kind of friend unless we are changed by a greater friend. So what we see in the story of David and Jonathan is really a silhouette of an even greater friend, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, let me just have you turn here with me real quick and then we'll be done. Um, John chapter 15, um, Larry read this at the beginning um, of the gathering, part of our liturgy. Didn't know he was going to do that, but providentially I have it in my notes as well. So John chapter 15, this is right before, right before all of Jesus' disciples are about to abandon him and forsake him and deny him and betray him. So just put that in perspective. This is the night that Jesus is arrested. This is right before all his friends are going to abandon him, forsake him, betray him, deny him. And then he says here in chapter 15, starting in verse 12, 
This is my commandment to you that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, in other words, if you live according to this kingdom ethic, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to me. Uh, sorry, made known to you. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, your fruit should abide. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. I have called you friends. The God of the universe who took on flesh looks at us in our selfish sinful humanity, and he says, I call you friends. I have chosen you. Jesus left the throne of heaven, right, to come for you. He was stripped of his royal robe for you. He committed to you by taking the blame for all of your sin and all your selfishness and all of your shame. And at the cross, Jesus lost the friendship of God, became an enemy of God, according to Ephesians 2, so that he could make you his friend. He was vulnerable from the cross. He sacrificed himself at the cross. And the, the scriptures tell us it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, despising its shame for you and for me. And then Jesus rose from the grave, conquering sin and death and hell, our greatest enemies. And not only did he do that for us to secure us a place in the kingdom, he sent us his Holy Spirit, the advocate, the comforter. The literal translation of paraclete is to come alongside. Is that not what a friend does? He gave us a friend in the Holy Spirit to be with us forever, to come alongside us, to never leave us or forsake us. And so when you and I embrace the friendship of Christ, it will change us. It has to. It changes our hearts, changes our minds, changes our identities, changes our motives. We will never make it without a true friend. But even the best friends on this earth will never be enough without the friendship of Jesus. And we'll never become this kind of friend for others unless our hand is strengthened in God by the friendship of Jesus. So as we wrap up, I got four questions for you. We'll put them up on the screen. You can take a picture as they come or you can uh, write them down or take a picture when they're all up or write them down as they come. But I want you to take these with you. Maybe you take them just to your quiet time this week or to, um, to brunch or lunch, whatever you're doing next. First question is this. What kind of friends have I chosen? What kind of friends have chosen me? And some of you might be asking that like, what kind of friends have I chosen? Um, <laughs> and that's okay, right? Um, are they true friends? Friends who choose you, friends who commit to you, friends who change you. Are they friends who are vulnerable and sacrifice for you and encourage you? What kind of friends have chosen me? What kind of friends have I chosen? All right, second question. When have I been most deeply impacted by the commitment of a true friend? So I want you to think back on your life. Think back on recent events. Have you had a true friend who has shown their commitment to you through things like vulnerability, through things like uh, sacrifice for you, through encouragement? Okay, and not just a pat on the back, but like looking you in the eye, seeing the real true you, right? And then strengthening your hand in the Lord. When have I been most deeply impacted by the commitment of a true friend? Third, how does the friendship of Jesus free and empower me to become 
a true friend for others, to, to put to death the selfishness in me and the self-focus in me and the pride in me and to actually humble myself enough to be vulnerable with other people, to sacrifice for their sake, to encourage them in the Lord. How does the friendship of Jesus free and empower me to do that for them? And then fourth and finally, um, what is one step I can take this week to practice true friendship? What would the Lord have you do? Now, this isn't about doing, right? I don't want you walking out of here thinking, well, I gotta do something now. Uh, and at the same time, our growth in Christ comes not without effort. It comes without earning, but it comes not without effort. What's one step I can take this week to practice true friendship? Maybe you need to pick the phone up or go visit somebody at their home. Maybe there's someone you can encourage. Maybe it's a matter of just opening up a little bit more in community group and being vulnerable before other people for the first time. What's one step I can take this week to practice true friendship? All right, I'm going to leave these questions up on the screen. I'm going to pray for you. Um, communion servers can make their way forward. We're going to respond to the Lord in a couple of ways. Uh, first is communion. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ, you're welcome to come to these tables. Um, we'll have four stations here, and uh, you will take a piece of the bread. You will dip into the juice or the wine, whatever your conscience allows, and you are remembering in this moment the friendship of Jesus, that he sacrificed himself for you. And he came and lived a life you couldn't, died the death that you deserve um, to purchase you and to give you forever friendship with God. So if you're not a Christian, you can stay in your seat, but if you are a Christian, you can uh, take from one of these stations, make your way back up the side aisles. We'll start with the very back row and make our way to the front. Um, I'll give you the signal for that in just a minute. Uh, as you make your way back to your seats, there's black boxes in the back. If you have a prayer request, um, you can put that on a Connect card. Uh, if you're new around here, there's also those Connect cards there in the seats. You can fill one of those out if you're a regular and want to give financially. That's what those giving boxes are for. Uh, the band's going to come back up, lead us in a couple of songs as we celebrate uh, who Jesus is to us. Uh, and then I'll, I'll uh, send you out with a benediction. I think we've got some uh, last batch of new members joining this morning as well. So let me pray, and then we'll respond to the Lord. Father, thank you so much for your kindness to us. We thank you for the friendship of Jesus Christ uh, who loved us and gave himself for us. He is the friend of sinners. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And so I thank you, Lord, that we have um, before us that the amazing friendship of Jesus Christ. So that even if we don't have a human friend like that um, on this earth at this moment, uh, we have you and you are always there for us. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just strengthen us, strengthen our hand in God, that we might become this kind of friend for others, and that our world, which is so lonely, in so much pain, would see in Christians, would see in the church, true, genuine friendship, others-centered relationships that flourish, and that they would be drawn in, drawn into faith in Jesus, and drawn into these true um, meaningful, real friendships that will last a lifetime and even beyond. And so, Lord, help us to, to, to be the kind of friend um, that, that you call us to, strengthened by your Spirit, empowered by your Word. And, um, Lord, if, if there's anyone in this room this morning who doesn't know you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. They would welcome your friendship. And I pray, Lord, that if there are folks in this congregation who are lonely, and who need good friends, that you would provide them within this church family, that we would find each other, seek out, choose one another, and that you'd strengthen these friendships. We pray all this in the beautiful name of Jesus, and by the power of your spirit, we ask. Amen. Let's be still for just a moment. Uh, when I get up, the tables will be open so the back rows can go first and participate in communion.